Hello, one and all. This is Powering Bitcoin once more. One more week, one more episode. Today, I am joined by the lovely Janet Maingi. Hello, Janet. Hello, Jesse. How are you today? I'm good. I'm doing very good. The sun is shining for both of us very, very close. People will have seen the title so they know we're not too far away from each other. Or I only had <laughs> Americans on the show. But I'm, but I'm happy to, to change that today. Before we get started, Janet, can you give me the block height quickly? Um, 778936. Beautiful. Thank you very much. The last difficulty changed, an absolute monster. Probably seen it on Twitter before. Plus 9.95%. That's incredible. The hash rate at 310 right now. Um, and the hash price suffering as a result for a bit, staying at $70 per petahash per day. Amazing. Even in the bear market, miners keep on chucking, they keep on chucking on the hash rate. And if the price goes up a little bit, you see what happens. People throw on their miners um, and add security to the network. Today's topic is uh, very dear to me, Janet, because of what you guys are doing with Gridless. Um, I've been working in the Minigrid space for five years now, um, in Mali mainly. Mm -hmm. That's sort of where my career has started off. And also where I got to know um, Bitcoin more in detail because we had to solve for an issue having to do with with revenues coming from Malian villages in West Africa, you know, where we sold electricity. People gave us um, cash in, in Sefa and I had to somehow make sure that money arrives in euros on German investors' bankers' account. And I don't have to tell you that that's connected to a lot of friction. So, yeah. And then you guys are now mining in Africa in mini-grids, which is, which is pretty amazing and what we're going to speak about today. Recently, you've been on the, in the news during the, or shortly after the Africa Bitcoin conference, a uh, high-profile person came along with you to, to Kenya, I think, um, Mr. Jack, the only one and only Jack Dorsey, um, who invested um, for him some change, for us life-changing money into your operation, which is, which is amazing. And, and I want to congratulate you congratulate you first and foremost for that um thank you but let's let's maybe get started janet um by you just explaining where where and how you got to bitcoin um and give people a bit of background and the story that that yeah involves you and bitcoin oh that's an interesting question uh, my interest in bitcoin is uh pretty i would call it still pretty new uh I have known of Bitcoin for a while, of course, being in the technology sector. But we must appreciate that uh, Bitcoin or crypto is one of these technologies that the average person is still struggling to get their heads around it. Um, so through the one through uh, speaking with my current co-founders, I got to understand about Bitcoin. And of course, there's been a huge rabbit hole that I'm just going through every other day. Uh, because as you may know, the, for you to be able to understand, to appreciate Uh, the Bitcoin industry, the Bitcoin technology, it takes a lot of background reading, um, seeing what has been done previously by other, whether you'd call them uh, scholars or even uh, practitioners in the industry. So my interest in Bitcoin uh, mining actually came up from a previous life where with the same co-founders, we worked in a different company and we were trying to sort out uh, connectivity in Africa. As you may know, it is very difficult to talk about 21st century village if there's no connectivity and there's no energy. 
And so we were great at uh, solving connectivity issues in Africa with a focus on either software or hardware that was made and uh, designed and made for Africa, which, which meant that our focus was really around what everybody else would look at. You'd walk into a shop and, for example, buy a Cisco router, but this has been designed in the U.S. or in France or, or any one of those developed countries. When it comes to Africa, it can't um, handle our dust. It can't handle our beautiful power that has very ridiculous surges. And so you'd find that there's a lot of investment of you, you, you get an equipment, bring it into the country, and then it can't uh, deal with our uniqueness of being in Africa. And so that, that company, then we were manufacturing hardware that was then designed and made for Africa, which could withstand uh, power surges, it could withstand uh, dust and all the other elements. And most of all, it, it could be useful in areas where electricity was not available because uh, like the brick router, the super brick, they came equipped with a battery that was able to give you about nine hours of, of connectivity. And so we were good at solving connectivity issues. And then we thought about what about the energy side of it? How can we tap into this? How can we make a difference? So while, of course, still being profitable and making money. And out of that, that's how Gridless was conceived. Yeah, amazing. What, what does BRIC stand for? Brick, you said BRIC. BRIC is literally B. Just BRCK oh. was a company. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Nice. All right. So it's yeah, really rugged the, devices. I never got there. Yeah, so it's yes, all these like, re- really rugged devices, which now probably would also come handy in South Africa, where power just suddenly disappears. And not all devices, people mostly don't understand understand that. That's some devices, like take an oven, for example, right? They, if, they don't, if they don't expect, if the technology doesn't expect that power can suddenly disappear, then there is a chance that these devices break. Um, and that, that yeah. obviously causes, causes quite a lot of damage to the person owning it. So that's interesting. So you basically built hardware equipment, IT equipment with the African sort of circumstances in mind, um, where obviously, as you said, most devices that we have today are not built that way. You know, they account for constant power, good power quality, which power which people often underestimate. I think power quality and having no ridiculous surges, as you said. And stuff like that. Okay, so that's how you got Gridless started. And did Gridless always did Gridless always think about Bitcoin mining from the start, or was that a feature that came into the company at a later stage? No. So when we were forming the company, of course, it was towards now Bitcoin mining. So Gridless came about for us to actually get into Bitcoin mining. So it did not exist before before with like a different product, but it actually. Uh, came about as uh, as a result of that. Interesting. Okay. Can you tell me a bit about the the first project that you guys have right now? That that's mostly um, yeah being presented on Twitter and stuff like that. Um, of course, our first project uh, came out of Kenya, uh, but we are looking at, of course, um, partnering with power providers throughout Africa. So Kenya is just one of the. Uh, geos that we are looking at and of course being i being kenyan it was easier to start out of kenya um it's a mini grid that's running out of hydro um about uh, 500 kilowatts um serving a community within rural kenya so towards central kenya so that's towards uh, the abadeas towards mount kenya um and so we have partnered with uh, a company that was already providing power for the community 
But our focus as gridless is not just uh, any mini grid, but it's uh, mini grids that actually have excess power or what you'd call stranded power. So this is power that they're generating, but they have no one to sell it to. And therefore, every day, um, so for example, if you're generating 500 kilowatts, but you're able to only give 200 kilowatts to the community, you have 300 kilowatts that every day you generate and every day it goes into the air. So that stranded energy is what uh, Gridless is tapping into and setting up uh, Bitcoin mining data centers around that. And we look at that as a triangle of a win-win-win because one for the power plant, they've been generating this power without um, getting any economic value out of it. And so we give them a new arm of um, revenue for themselves. And then for the community, of course, by investing in that uh, investing in that power plant, we're then guaranteeing them of a longer shelf life where they know that with Gridless being an anchor tenant, then this project definitely will keep on running for a long, long time. And then, of course, for Gridless, then it allows us to do a Bitcoin mining. That project came about because it's in Kenya and you know the guys who, who, who are running it? Or did you build the generation from the ground up? I don't think you, you only integrated the Bitcoin mining part, right? Yes, we did not build the generation. We actually integrated. Um, and as you may, you may know, being in Africa, there's quite a lot of mini grids that are running um, in different parts of Africa. One, of course, we have we are in the tropical space of the world, so a lot of uh, rivers that run, a lot of sun, and therefore mini grids in terms of hydro and solar are very uh, much available in different parts of Africa, and of course, more the rural side where the main grid has not been able to support um, electrification for the communities or homes around there. So we have definitely uh, walked uh, walked around, driven around, get, got into understand what exists in our in our space. And then, of course, as Gridless continues to grow, then you're also having a lot of um, energy providers, especially for the mini grids, reaching out and trying to see whether they'd be fit to be a partner with Gridless. So just by opening one site and, of course, being visible in, in, the, in the Bitcoin mining space in Africa, we're definitely getting inquiries of other providers who would want to partner with us. Because the thing I always tell people, Janet, when I talk about mining and, and Bitcoin and Africa and why I'm so interested in this, is the, the, there is no power infrastructure. People don't know that mostly, that there is really no national power lines that sort of reach the far ends of every angle of every country. So the, the question is, will the future of power generation in Africa um, and access to power de be decentralized, and I think absolutely, because the the possibility of of acquiring funding for these large infrastructure projects is just not there, and Africa is ginormous in size, so and very spaced out anyway, and communities live very decentralized uh, across the across the the, the nations. So comparing that with Bitcoin mining just makes sense because most of the mini grids that will power these communities will not have the opportunity to offload that energy anywhere. Most people then say, hey, okay, what about batteries? So what do you say to people that ask you that same question? Why don't you just incorporate batteries instead of Bitcoin mining? Or do you do that already? Um, so depending on the partner work, of course, for hydro, hydro runs 24 hours. So there's no requirement for batteries. 
um geothermal if it was an angle would tap into again that's that doesn't need batteries so the one i could foresee where batteries are required is a solar uh, aspect of it so we have still not invested in a solar plant yet we are uh, in discussions with a few partners and just to understand the what the model would look like and at what point do you get your efficiencies um because of course with solar you know you're guaranteed of maybe about 8 hours a day and of course towards our winter quote and put like in july in kenya as much as it's not as cold as what you'd find in europe and the and the and the us uh of course the sun radiation is much lower and so you you possibly will not get the same output as on a normal sunny day in january or september so we are still exploiting those options um but your question when you talk about batteries batteries also not very affordable when it comes to solar and this is from my opinion just uh uh, just as a consumer, um, I set up uh, a small solar outfit for my mom up country, and just the, uh, each battery will cost you about uh, fifty thousand shillings, which is the equivalent of about fifty dollars. But knowing the community or what you'd call the mass market in in, in Africa, fifty dollars is a heavy investment for a family, because um, most of these guys are either subsistence farmers, and therefore their their incomes are not as high. Uh, and the, the, based on that, then, of course, their ability to spend is also not very high. So these batteries could not be a long-term solution because then you buy this battery, it's $50. It possibly gives you a shelf life of three to four years, and then you have to repeat that. So we have to look at something that's more sustainable, um, like, for example, what the mini-grids are doing, where they not only power up the community but distribute the power on that community. So this is more sustainable and long-term. Compared to telling an individual that you need to buy batteries, and remember, if they have to buy batteries, they have to think again of solar panels. So the cost of investment is much higher for these um, villages in the rural part of Africa, which could ideally not be as affordable. Um, and I guess that's my opinion around that. I had a comment. Now you don't have. Feel free to answer it if you want to. I find, especially also with the work that I've been doing in Mali, that that the the purchasing power, and that's really seeing it through the Bitcoin lens, the purchasing power of of people um, of rural communities, especially in Africa, has been um, has been eviscerated over the last fifty years, mostly by by central banks and and governments and countries outside of of Africa, right? So take in Mali for instance, the the CFA has been devalued so critically over the last 50 years that people now don't have access to the purchasing power to afford an electricity connection worth 90 euros. Um, or as you said in Kenya, where now $50 is a huge investment for a battery, which is really surprising to anybody who who doesn't understand how how the living standards in Kenya were compared to their own in a, in a developed nation. And now, because of that, there's so much reliance around government, outside government funding and, and programs, USAID, UK aid, the World Bank, they all come in and have all these grants to dish out. And it's really insane how, how countries and people rely on these outside um, sources of funding when their purchasing power has just been crippled over the last 50 years. I don't know. You can comment on it if you, if you want to, but that's just something I, I'd like to leave here as a note um, because it strikes me as as, as curious. Yes, um, I, I actually support you just saying, and just a point of correction, it's actually not $50. It's $500. Okay, um, there you go. Yeah. I was trying but to convert even, from even then, It's actually $500 yeah. per battery, yes. And even then, of course, 
if you look at um, a, a, a rural family uh, income, you first find, first find of, uh, first of all find that you possibly have one individual who is earning in the family. So it could be just uh, possibly the father who works while the mother keeps the home or vice versa. And so $500 is just basically unattainable. Like it's not part of what they would first put on the table to deal with. They have other problems to deal with, just the basics needs of housing, um, education for their kids, food, putting food on the table. And so $500 as um, an investment towards uh, electricity would not be their first uh, their first pick when they're given an option. That would yeah. be basically maybe level eight or level nine based on where they're at from an economic perspective. Just to riff on that a bit more, is there is there saving? Do people save typically in, in these areas? Or is there no money left over to save anything and the concept of saving is not even really a thing? Unfortunately, they don't, even if they thought about it. Um, I think the focus is just what I would call survival. So am I feeding my family? Do my, are my children going to school? Um, do we have housing? Do we have clothing? And that's what they focus on. Of course, um, there are other aspects of Africa that are coming up that are, are still have, uh, assisting with the financial inclusion of these families. So you have things like, um, I think in Kenya, we call them chamas. So where women will come together in a community, put in a bit of some investment, whether it's basket making or uh, rearing chicken. And out of that, then again, get a new source of income. So we are not where we were at um, even five or six years ago, but there's still a long way to go in getting these uh, families into a better space. And I believe uh, energy electrification is one of those things that will actually bring that development to these communities. Because if I'm able to, one, power on a bulb today, just one bulb, what does that do for my family? My children are able to do their homework, uh, not using paraffin lamps, that if you look at it, bad for their eyesight, bad for their health, a risk because if you hit it, it topples, it can burn the house. So that's just one step. And then once you've gotten the fridge, I mean, the, 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 the bulb on, then the, the parents start thinking, what else can I do with this electricity? Uh, maybe now I can invest in a in a cooker, or next time I'll try and save up and invest in a fridge. And now slowly you get that um, that cascading happening in terms of them getting more becoming what you'd call a twenty first century home because then they're investing in more of the the items. But until that first step where we can light a bulb happens, then the value of electricity is not appreciated, and which could really make a difference to those communities. I completely agree. I can just support what you're saying by also throwing in an example where south of Bamako, maybe 50 kilometers, the capital of Mali, um, we electrified a village that previously only had very sparing access to or, or access very sparingly via diesel generator, right? Loud, um, unhealthy, fumes everywhere. Not very nice. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's quite a, It was quite a large space as well, quite a large village. Um, maybe... Four or five thousand people lived there, maybe even more. But it went on a on a highway. It was on a highway, so a lot of trucks went through there and stuff like that. And then we delivered a container unit, and all of a sudden we were able to provide eighteen hours of electricity per day, right? Solar, and then we had battery storage and stuff like that. And then if you look at the difference between when there was no power or very sparing access to it. And then you had sort of 18 hours of constant electricity access. The difference it made, mm -hmm. amazing. 
astounding. The, the stuff people come up with, like all of a sudden you had a barbershop, it was like lighted up, there was radio running, there was a TV, there was a fan going, we had an internet cafe. Previously, life would be over at eight at six o'clock in the evening because it was pitch black dark yeah. and people were at home, yeah. right? Now, there was like an internet cafe, people playing on the street, people were like having meals, there was a restaurant open, um, there was lighting, street lighting, people running around, you know, on the main road. Now, people were like, um, um, uh, soldering stuff. They were fixing fixing metal parts. You know, they they made windows Welders, with metal yes. frames. Welders. There you go. Um, and all that business that was previously inaccessible to them because there was no basis, which is power, right? Power is the basis of everything. So there was no access to that business because there was no power. And now because they were on the main road, it just leveraged it up and it, it went into into the development that happened there was absolutely astounding and so yeah i just can absolutely support what you're saying um and underline that power is the is the basis for everything which is also why i'm so passionate about bitcoin mining is because now for the first time there's an off taker that can always you know give you a cash flow for energy resources that you have so it makes it makes more i'm not saying all of them right but it makes a lot more projects feasible where now you can turn energy resources that 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 you know are on the ground naturally into electricity and then people can gather around it and build and have first as you said 21st century homes what what role do microfinance institutes play in the in the areas where you're at do they play a role do they give out loans so people can um, access solar home systems and stuff like that um, yes, uh, there are few companies, and uh, I'm going to speak for a very high level. There are few companies that exist who um, have come in um, with solar solutions, and I guess these are more for the home solution more than anything. Um, and whether it's uh, lighting, whether it's charging your, like a charger that can be charge your phones and other gadgets, mm-hmm. and how they're approaching it is they charge you, I think, a certain amount of, um, some certain cents per day. And so you don't pay like a monthly bulk amount, but they look at it that if you are in subsistence uh, businesses, you possibly earn money by the day or you're a casual uh, worker. And so you get paid by the day. And so they uh, kind of uh, package the product where you pay for your electricity per day. Um, I don't have the detail of how that works, but that has made a difference to uh, some of the homes where then they're able just to get a solar unit and put it up on their roof because they have that ability to pay per day. Um, so those those solutions definitely do exist, and uh, you having been, I mean, for you having been in Africa, I'm sure as you drive around, you get to see very creative and innovative solutions that uh, everybody has come with to just try and 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 get to the next level, or to just to get to, to go an, an extra mile when it comes to electricity. So some of them, of course, are sustainable; some may not be sustainable, and uh, I believe the mini grids um, give that sustainability because then. Um, as long as there's water flowing through that river and you've already done the initial investment, which might be heavy, but in the long run, then you know you're serving this community for X and you know, tens of hundreds of years, not not a product where you put on the roof and then the elements come in and after three months it's not working or your battery drains and you need to buy a new battery. When it comes to the mini grids, once that's off the ground and you, you as a community are powered through it, then you know there's that longevity and guarantee of being powered on for a much longer time. 
for from the from the generation perspective, right? If you and I'm sure this this is also a problem in Kenya for operators. Usually, the the issue is in Mali at least. If you deliver power, if you put a generation asset on the ground, there have been previously other parties who promised the same thing. You know, we'll come to your village, we'll bring you power, what, what, what. Now, there's a lot of distrust. And right, this is also where, where Bitcoin mining plays a big role is when you invest, you know, 100,000, 200,000 euros, whatever it may be, depending on the size, you need to be able to, to offload that power somewhere. You you are in on the back foot if you if you arrive at site you set everything up the grid is there you can deliver power but nobody really trusts you to do it or then you know they say to you oh it's too expensive or whatever so now usually what happens is that you deliver the assets on the ground and then from there it'll slowly ramp up right the, the consumption will slowly ramp up yes. as you sort of are on the ground and you de you deliver. Um, constant power and more people trust you and so on and then people go out and buy appliances because that people don't go out and buy appliances before you arrive because they they've sort of yes. been screwed over by other generators or other power producers before um, and so now from a bitcoin mining perspective this is perfect because these are all sites that have stranded power that could produce more that have been designed to produce more because they know they will wrap up in the future, but they can't right now. And there's nowhere else for the power to go because the batteries would be would be fully charged and, and the sun is shining, for instance, or the water is running down the river and you you have that issue there. So this is another, another use case where Bitcoin mining can sort of help access to power um, and make, make these projects more economically viable by saying, here's an off-taker that can always, yeah, always take the power that, that you produce. And if then you sort of ramp up and gain more trust in a community or whatever it may be, then you can slowly scale back the Bitcoin mining because you get more money selling it to the grid than you are selling it to the Bitcoin miner. Um, do you, just to, maybe if you want to note something on that, you, you're welcome. Otherwise, I'd have another question for you. Yes, Jesse, the way you've explained it, that's where gridless actually comes in. Um, and because when you set up this mini grid, you're not guaranteed, as you said, of you have 300 consumers waiting for this power and they're going to subscribe onto it tomorrow. So gridless comes in and helps you with the off-taking. And the way we've set up our business, we, we are only interested in the stranded power. So as your consumer base grows or the demands of your consumers grow, as gridless, we're able to, um, to we are actually able to look and see how much more power we need to release to these communities. We're able to shut down one machine or two machines or three machines to ensure that the community does not suffer. So we give, uh, the community gets preference or whether there are factories around that area, they get preference of their power utilization. Gridless only steps in for their stranded power. So as these communities will grow, then we definitely um, re reduce our usage to ensure that the communities are getting what they expect. And in a best case scenario, because that's how we look at it, if the community is able to take up all the power, we're okay with that. Uh, with Bitcoin mining, because we are location agnostic, we'll be able to pull out our container and move it to the next mini grid that has stranded power. So we are supporting the communities to ensure that they do get the power that they need and they're able to actually expand this to a larger population within that community. You said earlier, just to maybe get back to the to the project at hand and more into the Bitcoin mining um part of it all you said earlier that batteries do not really play a factor because you run on hydro and it's 24 7 anyway 
are there instances where in winter when it doesn't snow <laughs> when it just rains a little bit maybe <laughs> but still warm um are there instances where the water levels are too low to support all the load that you have on the grid yes like at the moment um uh i think the last trains we had in 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 kenya was towards october of last year and were not as um strong as expected so those it was still still a uh, uh, low uh, low volume still happen when you look at it now the rivers do not have as much water but they're still running of course because they are they, they're not seasonal so they're still running and when that happens then we all we, we still work with the partner to ensure that the communities don't suffer because remember the communities are number one when it comes to the uh, use of the electricity and so on our side because we've been able to to come up with a ruggedized uh kind of solution we're able to actually monitor and based on the uh, the output of the power at the plant we're able to reduce our utilization so we could power off four miners because the community needs that power and most yeah. of the time you see these changes between 6 p.m and 10 p.m when people get home and all the lights go on and yeah. somebody's cooking somebody's doing their homework so during that time we're able to monitor and, and as we see one form coming up and we see they still need power we're able to shut down one machine or shut down two machines or shut down three machines just to ensure that those communities get the power. Then post 10 p.m. when everybody starts going to sleep and the lights start going off and the utilization again drops, which means the power output available is more, we're able again to automatically power on our miners one, two, three, four, until we're able to get to the capacity that's available. So that um, ability to, to do demand leveling has been quite useful for us uh, and makes it very easy to not, not to infringe on the consumers, but at the same time be able to run our business. Okay. And are there instances where you have to where you have to add power because the, the hydro is not enough? Where you have to maybe throw on a generator to, to get some extra juice? Um, currently not. We've not gotten to that level. So remember, we, we work more with the demand level. So based on the yeah. number of miners that you have on that site, you'd be able to know how many can comfortably run on that power that's available at that stage because um, of course with hydro um, when it comes to rivers or the yeah the, it's the seasonality effects that you have in place and you use those to map even your your business case so you're yeah. able to know that our model will ride through these uh, seasonalities so those have actually been part of what our business model would look like so it's not a surprise and so yeah. you know like for example in Kenya the rains happen twice a year around March to April, and then again, October into November. So how do you make sure that your business model rides those waves? So as long as that's part of what you're working with, then you know what are your peak times, and then what, what will be, what, what, what are your peak times, what will be your low times, and you're able to, to work around those. And do you already have a full year of experience? How old is this project now that you set up in Kenya? Um, Gridless has been running since February of 2022, so we are just about a year. Yeah. Happy, happy, happy first year anniversary, I guess, or happy first year <laughs> birthday, um, related <laughs> birthday, I should say. Just a bit over. So you guys already have a full year of um, of load profile, basically, right? So you know what happens in winter. Um, yes. Um, from, from a Kenya perspective, but I th we, we actually have um, a few other sites coming up. So we've had one go live in Malawi. We're looking out for uh, new ones to come up in Zambia and Mali. So those conversations are ongoing towards the tip of them. 
And so, of course, as you, you your, your first sight normally becomes kind of your guinea pig, you get to understand um, the challenges that you might face. But again, remember, even when you talk about the seasonalities of rain, what happens in Kenya is not uh, automatically going to be happening in Zambia. No, so, for course. example, like now when, 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 we enjoy, when we're enjoying the sun and saying it's hot and sunny, Zambia is, is, is experiencing the rains. So again, there's that advantage of different seasons or different uh, yeah, d- different rain seasons in different countries in Africa. If you're able to have your footprint around them, then you're able to use the one that's experiencing better rains at some stage cushion, the one that is experiencing less rains at that stage. Mm-hmm. So just uh, that cushioning from different uh, geos, of course, then again, just stabilizes your, your business case and your model. Okay, yeah. And then to maybe to take it further, right? Let's say now the community grows and there's more power consumption you can scale back the Bitcoin mining. You can even then support a build-out. So let's say you add generation because now there's not enough generation in the coming months or years where where you know you might not be able to power everything because the community is growing. Again, Bitcoin mining comes in and says, hey, if you add generation power, we can add mining. We can level it out again because it's so, you know, it, it's so modifiable Bitcoin mining and so granularly scalable, you know, each machine consuming three kilowatts or whatever, or if it's an S9, half that roughly. So you can like scale up in these really small steps and in match up with the generation that that's available. And even then you can, you can through brains, which I'm sure you're using, ramp up and down the consumption of each mining machine, but you know, you can get it to 700 mm-hmm. watts or 600 or 500 and like go to exact that detail and use a, use a controller, which I'm sure you're doing, which we can in, get into. Um, um, I don't know how much you know about that uh, or if that's your, your capacity in the company, but you use a controller to say like, look, this is to the what the amount of power that's available and we're using every little bit of it. Um, so that's that's also in the long run, long run going to make a make a huge difference. Now you you said you were building rug rugged or oh, rugged up um, brick ruggedized uh, ruggedized <laughs> rugged up oh my lord um, you're using using these these Wi-Fi routers or you produce them to facilitate connectivity. Does that come in handy when it comes to protection of these Bitcoin miners? What do you do about dust and humidity and, and all of that stuff that miners do not like? Okay, so where the miners are currently sitting, so if you think of the containers, of course, all those um, elements are considered. So humidity, um, dust, of course, you have filters around the walls to ensure that uh, as you're doing the intake and outtake, then the dust is not part of what comes into the containers. Um, and also, and so that means you have to work very closely with the manufacturers to ensure that um, those unique aspects of Africa are, are taken into consideration when you're building out um, these containers. And then when it comes to things like humidity, of course, you have certain, um, the, the word escapes me, but there's actually certain gadgets that you, you put within the container that are able now to tell you what your humidity levels look like. Mm-hmm. And then with that, then you're able to know how to control that. So all those aspects are taken into consideration as you're doing your, your build-up of the data center in that space. I heard, um, maybe to, to switch topics a bit towards the, the economic side of things, I heard Eric say on the What Bitcoin Did podcast that really right now, you're not really paying them anything for the power because they're not getting anything anyway and just sort of trialing this and, and proving, the, proving the concept. Is that, is that right? Or... Did he misstate something there? 
Yes, so we're not paying for the power, but what happens is the relationship we have with the, I'd call them the power plants, is more of a ref share model. And so, uh, which I think is more, more opportunistic, opportunistic for each of us because as the Bitcoin price goes up and down, then of course your cost per power in, 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 in terms of the, the generator, I believe the, the cost per power for him then becomes better. Yeah. So whereby maybe today he'd be able to sell the power at five cents. Um, we know uh, we're at that stage where the Bitcoin uh, price is slowly um, and gradually increasing. And so again, out of that, you'll find that the cost that then he is making from a unit kilowatt is much more higher than what he would be selling to the main, main grid or, yeah. or, uh, or the, even the communities. And so our approach has really been on a ref share so that as you grow, they also grow. Instead of being um, kind of getting a flat rate where you are growing, but that uh, power plant is not going, so that's the approach we're taking with most of the relationships. And and was that easy to convince the 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 generator or the operator of that ref share model? Because now, sure, they're growing, and it's Vespin mm -hmm. Energy. The guy um, Adam Wright, who I interviewed last week, he they have the same approach, right? So they go to the landfill sites um, and they mine with with methane. Um, and or with methane gas that they turn into electricity and now they have to convince the operator somewhat about what bitcoin is before they can offer them the ref share model because if the operator doesn't have any idea okay i'm going to get a ref share of what and what is bitcoin and how do i use it and how to turn it into into shillings in kenya is there any work that has to be done there definitely there's work to be done there because as i had mentioned earlier bitcoin is still a technology that people are struggling to get their, their head around so you have to start from the point of them just understanding what you're trying to do um, as basic as you can be. And then, of course, when you get to the numbers, those speak for themselves. Then somebody will start thinking, aha, okay, now I need to go home and do a bit of more homework around Bitcoin because from a business perspective or economic perspective, I can see value. So mm -hmm. I just now need to understand how does this come in. Um, so, of course, there's that part of education that you have to work with them. Some will find that they have an idea about Bitcoin, not uh, 100% into it, but have heard of it. But, um, I, I met somebody who's kind of tried a bit and got burnt, uh, I think, three or four years ago. So you have like different uh, mixtures of the individuals you're dealing with, but definitely um, there has to be some education. And then, of course, now sitting with them and showing them how does that uh, improve their business. And why it becomes a quick win is, remember, this is stranded power. So they've been generating it and getting zero shillings or zero dollars out of it. So even when you come and tell somebody, you'll get, I just use a random figure, you'll get um, 10 cents per kilowatt day. Then the guy's like, wait a minute. Now I need to understand. So then selling Bitcoin to them, become, the whole Bitcoin mining process becomes easier because you've already got them excited from a financial perspective, but I can still make money. And, they, and um, this resource that has been giving me zero shillings or zero dollars is suddenly very valuable to me. So uh -huh. now let's go to the next step. Give me more detail. Let's, let's discuss how this can happen. So you find that you already get their curiosity awakened just by showing them how they can easily make money from a resource that they're currently just blowing it into the air. And do you, did you ever experience any despair when they started thinking about how much money they could have already made? <laughs> uh, some of them will, but I guess the, most of us are really forward-looking, so looking back doesn't help anything. <laughs> yeah, the, like despair would, the despair doesn't come with any value. Like I could yeah. sit here and regret it then. Does that give me 10 extra dollars today? No. 
it's more of okay how soon can we get this relationship going on so for yeah. them now they become very aggressive in when can we sign when can we start when can we get minors on site and suddenly you're the one who's trying to keep up with them because for them they're saying this thing needs to go live now now so that's that 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 has been the exciting part of it yeah now now yeah now now is a, also a very <laughs> uh, common south african expression now now just now yeah later but nobody knows what it means um yeah but i think what you said you know <laughs> what does it get you to look backwards nothing um i think that that can be applied to many things in life you know all these people that say oh i'm late to bitcoin i'm late to bitcoin it's the train has left the station no it has not it's still in the station very much the train is arguably still being built um before it can before it can go anywhere um Now I heard before, and this is this is I, I'm not sure on that. You have to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I've heard before that you are also communicating that you are definitely lowering the price per kilowatt hour for the end consumer by you know generating generating an extra revenue stream for the upper operator. He can now lower the electricity price. Is that the case, or did I get that wrong? Um, I think you got that wrong slightly, so I would correct you. Mm-hmm. Um, as we go into these uh, generators and get into the partnership with them, of course, the, the cost of power uh, that they're currently uh, charging the consumers will be higher than what you're finding on the mini grid because you have to appreciate the, it's an investment for them. There has to be a return on investment. They probably have borrowed debt or they have equity that they need to, to live up to their, their commitment. So we don't directly tell you you need to lower your costs, but more of encourage you to do it, especially once we sit and have the conversation of how um, gridless is going to, to be useful for me, to, to you from an economic perspective. But at the end of the day, that decision still lies with that power uh, operator. So it's not a guarantee that they lower prices, but of course it's something mm. we encourage because then by lowering prices, I believe you'd be able to get more people from the community interested because it could be somebody who's very sure, I really want that electricity, but you know, 30 cents is too expensive. So if you got it to 25 cents, then I would actually afford it. So we, we are just encouraging them, but at the end of the day, remember the relationship between the community, the relationship with the community is held by the power generator, not by gridless. So yeah. we'll only see how best we can we can catalyze that, but we are not in direct control of it. Okay, so you and that that's a perfect um, lead to my next question. So you're also not doing any education around Bitcoin in the community. You're solely solely sort of um, interacting with the operator on the ground, right? Yes, we we solely direct with the with the, uh, the the generator, but we've had uh, instances where they will depending on the community. So some communities are really um, good to go because either the generator has been there for a longer time. And so when we come in as, as, as gridless, then they're not really bothered because for them, are they still getting electricity? Yes. Is, is it as enough as they expected? Yes. Well, in other communities, we are getting uh, instances where we have to sit with, uh, and this is more common in, in Africa, but you have to sit either with a chief or a, or an elder in that community where you first yeah. uh, a representative, yes, I was looking for the right one, and sit with them and just uh, between you, the generator and the representative have, have kind of a conversation. And because the generator already has a relationship with the representative and most of the time it has been positive, it still really helps us to leverage that relationship as we talk about what you're coming to do. So 
simple things like remember some of these sites we're not be able to access them daily because um, we are, if you're running out of Kenya and you have a site in Zambia, the, the advantages to that because there'll be some local expertise that you're going to need maybe to build up a certain, I need to put up an internet uh, connectivity. So maybe we need somebody who can put up for us a must. Again, you're giving the local community a source of revenue or business for them. And then you possibly will need to work with a local electrician or possibly you'll need to work with a local individual who is good in technology to just do for you the first level troubleshooting. So there are benefits you're able to put on the table beyond beyond just saying we're coming and doing ABCD. There's a sense of we, we will be able to create some employment, we'll be able to boost some businesses that already exist in that space. And that already now gives you value when you're having conversations about what you're trying to do. Yeah, so that has been kind of our journey around around that. Same in Mali. So when we came to sites and we planned out grids, now we're saying, hey, we need help with, with X, Y, or Z. You know, we, we're providing um, some working opportunities and stuff like that. And you also always meet with the village elders first, with the representatives of the different um, cultures within that community and all of that stuff. Um, so that's something um, very familiar to me. Do you... And this is okay. Maybe I'll add some one more one more story. We had this one instance, mm -hmm. right, where we came to a site, and we said, "Okay, we're going to generate power here for you. And where can we put this forty foot shipping container that everything is sort of packed inside?" Right. So we needed space. We need a a, a site um, in the village where we can install these these generation capacities. Um, and when we discussed where it would go. They would tell us, no, no, don't put it here next to the graveyard. I said, why? <laughs> you know, don't put it next to the graveyard because that's, you know, they looked at us like, why? Why are you even asking this question? Because this is where, you know, where the people rest that have passed away in the community. Because they expected yes. power generation, diesel generator makes a lot of noise. But we're like, no, no, yeah. it's solar. Right? There is no noise. There is no, it's very, it's noiseless. <laughs> it's not gridless, but it's noiseless, Right. So did you ever experience any funny encounters like that where you had to actually take a step back and, and explain, you know, what Bitcoin mining is or, or what, something like that? Uh, no. So it hasn't been as dramatic as yours, but I would see where they're coming from because, of course, with our cultures and uh, the, the deep taboos, they, they could not understand why you'd want to do that close to a grave. But on our, on our side, I think one of the benefits we've had is Whether when I look at the current partners that we have, they are sitting, they, they, sitting on some decent piece of land, and of course there's the hydro facility that's running. So we tried uh, just uh, set up very close to the hydro facility, but again we look at uh, how the the, the 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 landscape looks like and what where would be the ideal place because of course even with a decent piece of land you could have a home that's close by or you could have a school that's close by. So those are things we take into consideration because. You know, if you've been inside a container, it just sounds like a swarm of bees that never stops, as I call it. And so, um, of course, when you're working with the, with the container manufacturers, you think about the insulation, but it can't be 100%. Yeah. So we are conscious of where does this sit, where, one, it's easy to tap out of the power, but at the same time, it doesn't affect the community. So we look at the the, the, the setup of that space and see what, what, what would be the ideal place to place the con uh, container and um, leave the community as peaceful as possible. 
Yeah, so the cyber hornets are definitely also doing making some noise in Kenya right now. Um, okay, maybe let's get into the technical space a bit more. Um, can you tell me where you got the miners that you have running right now? Where do you acquire them? We've acquired our miners from China and from the US. So uh, it just depends where we get the best offer at the yeah. time when we're sourcing. But those have been the two uh, geos that we've, we've, we've uh, dealt with at the moment. Okay, and then you, did you have any problems importing them? Any logistics issues? Or was it all easy? You bought it on the secondary market, market and shipped it to Kenya? We bought them from the secondary market and shipped them to Kenya. Um, and the process was quite, was quite seamless. Um, not, uh, there was nothing to really lose sleep about. So that was good. Okay. And, and what, what yeah. mining machines are you using? What sort of considerations did you, did you make before you chose the, the machines that you have running right now? Um, of course, we look at where we're operating from, which, um, as you know, if it's Kenya or Africa, of course, uh, it's generally a warm area. So we looked at what machines will be able to withstand our heat and all the other elements that we talk about, whether it's dust or, uh, of course, being next to a hydro plant, think about humidity and all those things. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, we work with what's miners. Um, and then again, the model will depend on per site. So per every site we do a bit of an evaluation to understand what efficiencies we're trying to to achieve, uh, what are the uniquenesses that you pick from those sites, and that out of that model and see which uh, model, which what's minor model would give you the best uh, efficiencies and output out of it. And so currently we have a range moving from the, you, you start from the M30s all the way to the M50s. So again, those depend on site by yeah. site on how evolution for the sites. And are you mixing machines? Because now, let's say you you have less power available and you need to ramp down the consumption, it would make sense to sort of turn off the, the least efficient machines first, but then it might not make sense to have just one type. Do you have like different machines and then yes. sort of in the pyramid, you, you turn them, you turn the least efficient ones off first? Exactly. So different machines based on your efficiency you're trying to achieve, then you play the game uh, with the demand leveling software. Yeah, and that that software is that something you developed in house that you do that you make your own? Because I had I'm, I'm I'll tell you why I'm asking this, Jenna, is because before I switched my podcast to being English, um, I interviewed somebody um, called Nico Peter Schmidt. He he works for Enensos. I don't know if you've heard of that company. They do mini grid consulting, um, and they also developed a controller. So I was wondering maybe if you are using theirs, if you if you have heard of them or not. Um, so no, so the one I'm talking about definitely is it's actually in-house developed, but we we are working with that and Foreman. So those two are the two kind of uh, that hybrid that we are working with to to ensure that we get the best out of it. So they they internally developed one plus uh, Foreman. Foreman is a. Can you explain for people who do not know what Foreman is? Um, I'm not as technical, but I'll try and do that. Um, so Foreman is a. Foreman, I think, is based out of the U.S. and it's a software that you use for monitoring the performance of your miners. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yes. So it's like a data center management software um, that you use. Yes, to, but, yeah, but specifically, okay, of course, for the for the for the Bitcoin world. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, brilliant. And do you ever have any issues with internet connectivity? How do you connect your your miners to the to the blockchain? Um, so, of course, uh, our previous life has come to be useful for us. So, the Superbricks I was talking about, we're actually using them as mini 
mini computers in these sites. They're able to handle a SIM card. And based on that, then, of course, you're able to get your internet connectivity. So some of these sites already, the generators had an internet uh, solution in place. And so we kind of put in our backup to ensure that then we're we're guaranteed of kind of 100% uh, uptime. Because, of course, without data, then you're not able to to, to mine. So internet, uh, being in Africa, yes, connectivity is still an issue. But then you look for solutions that give you a good failover um, uh, during the day. Yeah. Okay. So, so we actually met at the Africa Bitcoin conference where I hunted you down to do, to do this interview sometime in the future. So again, thank you for, for joining me. Can you tell me a little bit about, let's switch gears about that conference. What, what did you like about it? Was it valuable for the company? I think you sponsored it already also, right? I don't think the, the sponsorship that, that Jack has, has done or the investment that they have done came based on that. I think you agreed on that previously and just announced it there. Was there anything else that really helped you being at that conference? Are you going to be joining next year? What's the what's the plan? Or this yes, year? Yes, we, we did sponsor Sorry. the oh this year, yeah. So we, we actually did sponsor the event and because we believe that uh, the Bitcoin the Bitcoin itself is uh, a te- technology that's getting adopted in Africa. And um, it can only work when there's somebody who takes that first step. So a few companies or organizations have taken that first step of educating consumers, educating the population, or from a business perspective, deciding to become, let's, let's say, do Bitcoin mining. And so that kind of a conference was very important because it brought in all those mindsets together. And even for that person who is kind of doubtful and not sure, what do I do? Then it was a space where you can come and have conversations with people who are already in that space and see what you can learn from it and what you can tap from it. So yes, we plan to continue sponsoring and attending it because um, somebody has to take the mantle and uh, push Bitcoin uh, adoption and acceptance within Africa. Yeah, I really like that. And then Do from you... a greater perspective, mm-hmm. sorry, and then from a greater perspective, um, definitely it it was important because also you um you get to be positioned as a player in the market and um i remember during the the conference if you remember we also launched the gamma which is the green africa mining alliance and currently there's about six um, organizations in africa who are part of gamma and of course we're looking for other bitcoin mining companies that within africa who want to join us because the beauty of it then you become an alliance that you share a lot of the synergies, where can I get the best miners? How did you roll out this kind of a site? What can I have learned from you? What best practice can I borrow from you? And so we are seeing this as a beginning of a very interesting journey for Bitcoin mining in Africa, as well as Bitcoin adoption in Africa. Lovely. And okay, so that goes into um, the future a little bit. What do you think is still needed? Like what what would happen the most? Where can we harvest the most potential? Because also with the mini grid um, market, you know, you often get then developers saying, ah, no, it's all competition and we need to sort of keep all our hand, all our cards close to the chest and stuff like that. What do you think about that? Do you think that the, the market is huge enough that there is no real sort of competition or do you already see um, that you have to compete for for sites uh, with other miners and stuff like that? I think there's enough pieces of the pie for everybody. <laughs> so yeah. The, the, there's, the, the, yeah, because um, the, there's so much that each of us can do. And the, the only positivity that comes out of working together is because then the, the, the traction is much better. 
if you just think of the energy in Africa and you think of the mini grids that uh, exist in Africa, they are thousands and thousands. So you know you cannot be able to tap into each and every, but think of how do you, uh, what what is that niche you are working towards and work towards that niche. So you might find a, a mini grid where possibly somebody is generating let me use fifty kilowatts, and the community is using thirty kilowatts. So that's that's left with about twenty kilowatts of stranded power. Um, is that where gridless would want to go? Maybe not. Is there somebody who is starting out as an entrepreneur and is able to afford three or four miners? be able to set up in that space? Yes. Does that have an effect in the long run about with Bitcoin adoption and mining in Africa? Yes. So I believe there's a piece of pie available for everybody. It's just to see how do we work together to to, to, to make to, to keep the traction and to make uh, what we'd call green mining a reality mm-hmm. in the larger uh, Bitcoin uh, space in, in the world. And what would you say to someone if now, let's say um, somebody hears this and they want to start doing this and start a company or whatever, what would you what would you give them as advice? Where should they start out? How do they best get started in, in setting up their first operation? Uh, before even setting up the operation, I believe they, they, there's just a bit of research you need to do. As I said, this rabbit hole is very endless. So... Um, just understanding the basics around, if it's, if it's Bitcoin mining, first just to try to understand the basics around it, understanding where you want to set up, which would be the ideal equipment to use. And I know there's a lot of resources online, but again, within Africa, as we've said, like for the Gamma, we are open to uh, reaching or reaching out or linking with new individuals who you can give advice, so you can guide and see how best you can support them. So, What I've seen online first is a lot of um, information, documents, research, papers that are already existing, so a, a place to learn. And then, of course, that is the the players who are very supportive, very willing to, to to assist and to educate. So tap into those two resources, and then from there now, and as you start your business, then you have an idea of what you're working yourself into. Mm. And I think just to maybe switch gears before we go into the last few questions, I wanted to ask this earlier, but it didn't really fit in. So, so let me let me try um, and structure this question a bit more. So, I think personally that that not only Bitcoin mining um, can help in Africa, but I think there's also uh, another really big angle around payments. So, just to flesh that out a bit more, um, and before I go into that, let me ask you: Do the communities that you are powering right now or looking to power are they using smart metering systems from Simaco or spark meter or how are they metering the electricity that end consumers are uh, consuming do you know that yeah i know that there's some who are using some smart metering the others are still um trying to get their way around it yes yeah but there's a Because bit of smart metering the, the reason why i ask is is because there are there's another company in america um that is offering lightning payments for electricity. And they are integrating with one of the biggest um, smart metering providers. Um, and one big problem, one big issue that, that electricity generators and operators um, have is that they, the money that they earn, their revenue is denominated in an African currency, right? Be that Kenyan shillings or the CFA or whatever it may be. But they will have cost outside of that company. So when they source mining machines internationally or when they hire consultants or whatever, they don't want to receive that currency, right? So there, there, there's a lot of friction there, as I alluded to in the beginning, where now you have to somehow convert 
that local currency that you are generating revenue in into something else to pay your bills, right? And I think mm -hmm. that's where Lightning can make a huge difference. If you integrated Lightning into these communities and say, hey, you know, we do education around this, we, do, we build up a circular economy, and now all of a sudden you start paying maybe an employee partly in Bitcoin and there are two, three businesses who receive um, a discount if they pay for their electricity in Lightning, then all of a sudden the operator doesn't receive only Kenyan shillings, but also Bitcoin, with which he can then, you know, do international payments or turn that into into dollars or euros very easily, for instance. Is that something you have looked at before or is that totally out of the scope of, of what Gamma or Gridless are doing? Um, I would say it's, it's kind of out of the scope at the moment because, of course, that's the second level of, uh, of the Bitcoin um, protocol when it comes to, to, to payments. But we have had discussions. I mean, these are discussions that are healthy discussions that happen around either the, 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 the providers of lightning payments. And uh, one of the things we are very um, clear about is that we first have to solve the current problem, which is can I access energy? And so that when you come back to this person and start um, um, educating them about the, 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 the benefits of Bitcoin, they can kind of attest to what you're talking to or they can see the relationship around it. Mm -hmm. But today... I uh, think of my grandmother or my mother walked through and told about Bitcoin, Bitcoin uh, trading in Bitcoin should look at you like, why, what, where? But when you first dealt with the basic needs of, yes, you know, this energy that you got, this electricity that you got was powered uh, or has been supported by this project where there's a data center that uh, is doing Bitcoin mining. Then when you start not having such conversations, they can see value to what you're, you're talking about because they've already experienced it. So um, I know there's some healthy discussions uh, going on. Um, people like Fedi are trying to think of how to come to these communities, but I would not. Uh, I don't think I'm comfortable to say that I know the detail of how it's going on. But I know it is. It's definitely something that's going to happen in yeah. Africa. It's just about a matter of time of how do you solve the first level of uh, what? Because I think energy is a basic need. So how do you sort of that basic need? And then as Maslow told us, when your basic needs are taken care of, then we start thinking of secondary and how do I get to self-actualization and I guess that's where um, adoption of Bitcoin trading in Bitcoin is going to come in into the into the whole uh, food chain process of, of, of the crypto with the Maslow pyramid you kind of closed the loop there when we first said do people save in Africa mm -hmm. do they have can they just sort of cover their basic needs with their with their monthly income um so yeah definitely no i i i fully understand i think it's a bit of a curveball right it's completely outside of the scope of bitcoin mining but the, this idea was just inspired by um, bitcoin ikazi who i'm who I'm, um yeah more closely connected to after the conference as well here in south africa which i'm sure you've heard of also inspired by bitcoin beach where now okay let's say you mine bitcoin in a local community right and bitcoin gets produced there what stops you from you know in the next step um paying your employees partly in Bitcoin, having sort of sources of acceptance of Bitcoin within that community where people sell their services. And then you start building a circular economy or Fedi comes in and you, you get that whole side of, of Bitcoin going. And then you even solve for that, that issue again that, that I tried to describe just now where all of a sudden your revenue is not only Kenyan shillings, which is hard to turn into something else, 
but all of a sudden your revenue is denominated in Bitcoin, which is the most liquid asset that we have in the world, 24-7 trading everywhere. And you can easily turn that into, into yeah, better in quotation marks. People can't see me doing the, the bunny ears, but um, harder currencies <laughs> than the Kenyan shilling, right? So yeah, maybe, maybe uh, an interesting uh, side note. Um, before we end, uh, Jenny, let me ask you this. Does the current bear market hurt your business car case at all? Like you, you said, you're doing ref share modeling. Do um, do operators think, hey, like okay, you know, could be better. Like this is not really life changing money right now because the the hash price is so low. So the ref share that they do receive is not that big. Um, denominated in in Kenyan shillings with with the Bitcoin price where it is, or is that not really an issue? I don't think it's an issue because remember they had this power stranded, so they were still getting zero zero dollars or zero cents for that power. Whereas now we're offering you a certain amount of revenue that uh, that that covers that that power. So from that perspective, I don't see where they're hurting. And then from the larger bear market, of course, um, we we also kind of are in an advantage position as as gridless because. As the bear market, uh, you know, crept into us, we also, we, we, with closing the funding that we got, we've been able to secure um, a good chunk of equipment, uh, miners that we can use for these sites. Of course, with the bear market, then the prices of the miners has really drastically dropped. If I look at the first miners that we bought, we possibly were investing about $3,000 per miner, where uh, much uh, recently we've been to close at almost $700 per miner. Wow. So again, there's that advantage of, yeah, being in the bear market. Uh, of course, it has been stiff for many people, but I think we were in the right place at the right time. So closing funding and being able to invest because you already had the energy partners kind of lined up. You already had your business model in place and then this opportunity of you, cl you close your round of seed and this equipment that's readily available. That was... Uh, Yeah, being in the right place at the right time. Yes, can you? Because then you're actually a beneficiary, I guess, of the bear market, which often Bitcoiners say are for building. So you, you definitely embodying embodying that 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 quote or that proverb. But can you can you speak to the the price that you paid per terahash? Do you know that? Because with the lowest I've heard is sort of fifteen dollars per terahash, sort of an S19 at one point five k dollars. Is that similar or are you even below that can you can you beat that record i think it was below that um i think it was below that um, yeah it was at about 11 wow maybe at about 11 terra yeah so um but you know they, they, of course being in the bear market uh, we have those players who've had it rough because either you had locked in a, a certain uh, 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 rate for the for the power that you're consuming, which then of course with uh, the Bitcoin price dropping, then that cost became a bit stiff for them. Or you went and invested in debt. Uh, you, you basically got debt to invest in more of your capex, and of course that uh, facility has to be serviced. Yeah. And so part of the advantage of uh, I guess part of the opportunity that we found in the in the in the bear market was being able not to negotiate with. Uh, Either certain players in the industry who are trying to figure out how do I um, spin out these uh, miners and be able to get some money and be able to pay out my debt, 
-hmm. or you have not the people who are just like okay because you you you're able to get back or what economies of scale can you can we offer to you so there's just those two words who are trying to balance uh during this uh during this window Right, so so you basically already answered my question. So now um, Jack and other investors, they basically um, closed or helped close your funding round. You're using that to to purchase assets uh, for the foreseeable future to build out, probably also to pay you some wages because this work isn't free. Um, and so the business, my question that I wrote down here was, does the bear market hurt the business case at all? But you're actually saying the bear market is helping your business case because prices are cheap um, while you got your investment. So so that makes me really happy um, because that means Gridless is going to be around for the long haul. Um, Jenna, what can, what can people contact you for? What do you do at the business specifically? What are your responsibilities? And, and if people want to get in touch with you, how do you do, how do they do that? And what do they get in touch with you for? So I am the co uh, I'm a co-founder and also the CEO of uh, Gridless. Uh, and of course, that means anything operations uh, is in my docket. So think of the supply chain, um, think of basic office operations, um, think of anything around the mining operations, yeah, all those kind of fall under my docket. Uh -huh. And you can reach me either on LinkedIn, I'm just Janet Maingi, or on uh, Twitter, I'm Duko J. So that's well, that's a bit difficult because it's my it's my <laughs> tribal name so duko is n d u k u underscore j a y yeah we will we'll put that in the show notes too so people um won't have any any trouble finding you uh, in in the internet yeah. okay so now at the as a ceo of, of gridless janet what does gridless need where are you going next and um if you are looking for for other people to solve problems for you what problems need solving Now we're just out to get the energy and get those mini grids uh, supported for the long haul. So um, anybody who has stranded energy, please reach out to us and we can see how to partner with you. Okay, solid. Now, I always, I always end my, my episodes by stating um, that Bitcoin doesn't use enough electricity or energy. What is your statement to that? Do you have a take? My take is the same. Bitcoin does not have use enough electricity or energy. Um, from my opinion, I would, I, I mean, I, would, I support that argument because one, I start from the very basic level of think of people who go to hotels and leave their power switched on through the day and ACs as you're busy going for your business meetings and you're utilizing a lot of energy. Um, think of homes that are running washers and dryers. Are they not utilizing a lot of energy? So I think we are focusing on the wrong aspect of it. The focus should really be around um, how is that energy being utilized and what value does it bring out of it. So I actually believe that Africa needs Bitcoin to expand the electrification or catalyze electrification. But on the other side, Bitcoin needs Africa to be able to grow that footprint from a global perspective. Yeah, I love that. All right, guys, that's it. That's a wrap. Thank you, Janet, for joining me. It's been a very uh, insightful discussion. And I'm, I'm pleased to hear that, that I am your, your first podcast. So that's great. I think you, you delivered um, amazing value to people. This is going to be very interesting. I'm excited to hear what, what people think and what questions they might have. Also very um, happy to have the first person in Africa on um, and not just Americans with interesting ideas. 
all the time, which are cool, right? Um, or I had Daniel Batten, I have to be fair, who's from New Zealand, who's also doing great work. But yeah, very, very happy that you that you found the time to join me in what I think is a very, very busy time. Thank you so much, Jesse, for having me. I know our calendars took a while to align, but we are finally here and we're finally done. We so, made it, yes. <laughs> and I'm humbled to be the first African on your product on your on your podcast. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Um, right, guys. So if you listened, if you liked it, feel free to zap me some sets on Nostra. If you're not already on there, get involved. Uh, that's that's where stuff is happening. I think um, Twitter is definitely becoming more and more quantity engagement or uh, engagement in quantity and the quality is, is more and more moving to Nostra, at least from my experience. So have a look at that. Um, look at Breeze and Fountain for Value for Value podcasting as well. Find me on Twitter. Ask Janet your questions. Visit her on her Twitter profile or on LinkedIn if you're there. If you have stranded power in Africa, if you're an operator, reach out. There is a way for you to make some money that you now um, as Janet termed it, just um, blowing into the air. Um, so definitely opportunities there. Um, leave a like, leave reviews and all of that good stuff. You know the drill. Have a good time and a good day. And until next time, bye-bye.